Well, good morning, Sunrise. Welcome to worship on this beautiful, sunny summer day. It's good to be worshiping with you here in the sanctuary and with those of you online joining us. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I want you guys to stand with us. If this is your first time with us, there's that QR code in front of you. You guys can scan that. If it's your first time online with us, there's going to be a link that will drop in there in a second. And click on that. That will just bring you to a spot on our, our webpage that you can um, click on a little form that you can uh, answer a couple questions that we have for you. You can ask some questions about us. We would love to just help you feel welcome on your first time here at Sunrise. And we'll, um, when you fill out that form, we'd love to send you a gift later this week. As just a thanks for hanging out with us today. Uh, but it is good to worship with you guys today. Hear these words from Psalm 95 as we prepare our hearts to worship God today as we read and listen from this ancient psalm book of songs. Hear this verse from 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all kings. Let's worship this king above all kings today. Let's sing. Praise the Lord. 
you pray? Pray with me. God, we give our hearts to you this morning. We lay it down to you. Are the things that we hold on to, the control that we have, the, the things that we think we have control over, God, we give those over to you this morning. It's hard to release. Sometimes it's even hard to sing those songs, those, those words of the song we just sang. Everything, all we have to bring, we give it to you, Jesus. God, help us to release our hold on the things that we hold dear, the money that we have, the job that we have, the grades that we got, the friends that we have, the relationship. God, we lay those, all, all those things down to you, and we say, God, we want you today. Our eyes, our focus is on you today, Jesus. May you be all that we may need. May we abide in you today. You are all we need, Jesus. You name me pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Good morning. Welcome to Sunrise. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a partner here, and it's really good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, I hear the humidity is supposed to go down a little bit this week, so I'm really excited about that. Um, we've had a lot of fun things that we've already done this summer. So last weekend, last Friday night, like, you know, like nine days ago or something, we had a camp out here in the church lawn. We had about 50 people join us, and we did a campfire, and we played games, and we had a really good time doing that. And then last week, last week, I don't know, the kids started bowling, the youth group. <laughs> they did that. They did some bowling. They had fun doing that. And we have some fun events coming up as well. So in two weeks from today, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, we're going to meet at Hager Park. So for those of you who've been joining us online because you're not comfortable being in the building, we would love to see you there at uh, Hager Park two weeks from today. We're going to meet on the south side where we met last summer when we did um, a service at Hager Park. After that, we're going to have a town hall meeting. Woohoo! So fun! Um, <laughs> like meetings in, you know, summer, fun. So we're going to do that afterwards as well. So, um, and just take care of some stuff with that. And then starting this week, we have a playground play date that is starting. So if you have kids and you want to join us at some different parks this summer, um, we'll be doing that. This is not a drop off your kids event. Please come and stay. I know, I know, that's why I said, oh. Um, we will not be having pub theology and wine and theology this month because who needs theology in the summer, right? Like, okay. All right. <laughs> so, no, we're just because of scheduling conflicts, we're not having that this month. Um, stay tuned for that in the future. Um, but so we talked about stuff we did as a whole church. We talked about what the youth group's doing. And I'm going to invite Penny up here to talk to you about what the kids are doing this summer. 
you. Good morning. So things obviously look a little different than what we're used to here, right? Normally we have rows of chairs on both sides, but we wanted to make things a little more friendly for our families. So if you look, there's tables. At each of the tables each week, there's manipulatives, which this week there are Legos. I like building with Legos. I was kind of bummed that, you know, my family's not here this morning so I could justify sitting at a table and playing. But that is to make things easier on you as a family. It's also to make it easier on the kids here and get them more used to being in service as they get older. Now, we are only doing this every other week, so on the back table where we have the kids' printables each week, there is this. It has a printout of what is going on each week, and the weeks that the kids are back there, it actually shows what we're going to be learning and talking about those weeks. Now, one of the things that I kind of realized is with the gap of COVID and everything that some of you guys may not kind of realize what we're working on each week in KidZone. So in nursery, you think to yourself, well, there's really not a lot that we do. There is, there really is. We may not be doing a lesson each week, but the goal of nursery at sunrise is just to have a safe place for our kids. When kids feel safe and parents feel safe dropping their kids off, it creates community. Now, our kiddos who are um, three through TK, we have three principles that we want them to learn. Now, if you've watched any of the videos online, these are probably going to sound very, very familiar. And those are actually on the back here. It is that God made me, God loves me, and Jesus wants to be my friend forever. So each week, so adults, if you find a kid, and they are three through TK, that's going to be a phrase that they're gonna know. One of those will be what we worked on that week. God loves me, God made me, and Jesus wants to be my friend forever. Now our older kiddos, we also have three things that are slightly different. That is, I can trust God no matter what, I need to make wise choices, and I should treat others the way I want to be treated. Each of those things on the sheet has biblical principles under it and why those biblical principles matter, kind of what's going on within that. So if you find a kiddo who's a little bit older, fifth grade through, three year, uh, through kindergarten, each week one of those things are going to be the things that we're working on. If you guys have any questions, as always, feel free to reach out. Thank you. I love that. I feel like as adults, if we just had those principles that we remembered in our lives, we would be doing really well. That God made us, that God loves us, that he wants to be our friend forever, that we need to make wise choices. What else? I can trust God no matter what, and, and I should treat others the way I want to be treated. Goodness. I, really, seriously, if we as adults lived those principles then I think we would be doing really well. So it's very comforting to me as a parent that that is what my kids are learning uh, in Kids Zone. that that is what is being um, poured into them. So thank you for that, Penny. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the chance to be together. Um, help us as we come out of this last year and a half, help us to be grateful for everything that we get to do. Help us as we come back into quote-unquote normal to rejoice and be excited about who you are and what we get to do and the ways we get to gather and praise you and serve you. I pray that, um, I pray that our kids and our youth and we as adults will focus on what's important, that we will focus on the, 
fact that you love us, that you want to be our friend forever, that you will help us make wise choices, and that you will uh, help us to trust you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I don't do this to everybody who does announcements, but... Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Hi, I'm Dan, and that's my wife, Stephanie. (laughs) Great job on announcements, by the way. And we do need theology in the summer. Thank you. Um, (laughs) uh, To all of you volunteers who help out with children's ministries, who help out with our students, uh, to Penny, thank you for the investment that you're making into our kids. Uh, My wife and I have kids who are part of this ministry, and it's important for us to know as parents uh, who are walking alongside of folks like Penny and others who have invested time trying to figure out, and Tanner, trying to figure out what these kids need, that they're helping us know that it is enough to help our kids see these important things. So thank you guys for that very much. Uh, Again, my name is Dan Fisher. If you're here for the first time, um, thanks for being here. If you've been here for a while, hi, we're still here. Uh, We're glad that you joined us, whether you're here in person or joining us online. So this week, we are starting out a new series. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts. And this book of Acts, if we're looking at the timeline that we've been covering over the last several months, is a bit of a rewind. It's a rewind back to the time after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and then now at this part in Acts, there's this ascension that happens where Jesus returns to heaven and then all things are new. All things are new in the sense that the the disciples have to find out a new way of living life. There's this picture that Jesus paints for them when he leaves, which is to go throughout the whole world, teaching people to obey him, Jesus, and to follow what he taught and to be baptized in his name. Now, that's a big deal. I mean, that's that's overwhelming to me. Imagine if you start working for Amway, and they tell you, look, your job is to go throughout the whole world and get people to buy our products and be happy with who we are, and to sign up and to begin selling the things that we're selling. Now, that'd be really overwhelming to me, right? Like, that's just ridiculous. Or let's, let's go back, uh, rewind this a little bit. Um, it is your job to become the best baker in the world. And so... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow all of the recipes that your aunts, your grandmas gave to you. I want you to do those really well and teach them to everyone in the world so that they can make those recipes too. And that apple pie, man, that mix between the cinnamon and the sugar has got to be just right. How in the world do you do that? We've got the ball fields right across the street. Kids are aiming to become professional baseball players. We have that in our minds, right, as little kids. I wanted to be a, I actually told my kindergarten class I wanted to be a basketball when I grew up. I meant basketball player, but I got that mixed up. But in the world of baseball, we have kids who want to be pitchers, catchers. They want to be that shortstop like Javier Baez. And so what do you do if you're trying to set sail for a target like that? Do you throw the kid out on the baseball diamond at shortstop when it's the Cubs versus the Cardinals and it's the first time Wrigley Field is at 100% capacity again and say, go for it. You've just graduated from high school. You're getting ready to go off to college to pursue your dreams. Some of you are already beginning to pack up your things. You're getting together with your friends and you're trying to figure out what life will look like as you pursue what's next. 
You can't somehow fast forward through those four years, or if you're like me, you turn college into a seven-year career. You've got to take baby steps, right? For the kid who wants to become a great baseball player, you take him out into the backyard. You don't use a baseball at first, you use a wiffle ball. If you want somebody to become a great baker, you have them work alongside of another baker to learn what to do. These disciples are in a situation where they have been told by Jesus, go into the world and make something fresh and new happen. We've set sail on a new season. It's summertime. The pandemic is pushed back in our rearview mirror just enough that we're in a place where we can say again, just like the disciples, just like students moving off to college, just like a parent who says goodbye to their student as they become an adult, there's something new that's happening. And what should we do? And I think that Luke, this physician from a long, long time ago, who took the time to write down some things that he saw, that he believed were true, that Jesus taught. He hands those off to us. I think there are things there that become immediately helpful to us. And so that's why we're looking at his book called Acts. Acts, a new day. So what does this new day look like? If you want to follow along, you're more than welcome to. We're in Acts chapter 1. We're just going to be in that chapter. And then the way we're going to walk through this is I'm going to throw up the verses up on the screen. I've highlighted some different words there, and we're just going to walk through the text. Number one, because we think the text is helpful. God moves through his word. Number two, hopefully as we're gathering together and walking through the book of Acts, we're not just learning what God has for us in the book of Acts, but we're also hopefully gathering along the way some helpful questions that we can ask, ways to study scripture, so that as you're doing this by yourselves, with your kids, wherever it is, you become equipped in that too. So before we jump in, let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. As people who have all kinds of questions, all kinds of things that we're excited about, all of us having in some sense a new day, a a day of maybe it's a new week that's coming up that we've been looking forward to. Maybe the air conditioning is going to be fixed this week. We're going off to school, we're welcoming a new child, whatever that is. God, I pray that in the midst of all of that, um, no matter how great or small, we would see in this text some helpful truths that help inform the way we can live well for you. In Christ's name. Amen. So Luke opens the book of Acts with these words. In my former book, Theophilus, uh, Luke is referring here to the book that we call Luke, the gospel according to Luke. He says, Theophilus, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now after his suffering, this is referring back to Jesus being beaten, hung on the cross, he presented himself to them, to his disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing here I've got highlighted is Theophilus. This is an interesting term here, and it points us back to the reality that it is the job of every biblical writer to not just communicate history, that is the things that actually happened, but to also communicate theology. We don't know for sure if there is a person named Theophilus. If Luke, as he was writing this down, thought of a specific person, Keith Knighty. That's a friend of mine from a long time ago in a city you're not aware of. But dear Keith Knighty, no, it's suggested by many people that because the name Theophilus means friend of God, that this letter is written by Luke to every friend 
of God. Anyone who follows Jesus, who believes that Jesus is God's son and decides to follow him is a friend of God. And so at the very beginning of this book, we are clued into the reality that we are about to experience what actually happened in history and we are about to experience some form of theology that rests fully not just on the hearts of perhaps a Theophilus who lived a long time ago, but on the hearts of all of us who call ourselves the friends of God. So what Luke begins to tell us is that after Jesus was beaten, after he was crucified and he resurrected, he came back to his disciples and for 40 days he gave them many convincing truths that he was who he said he was. If you look at the Gospels, you've got the story of Jesus coming and eating fish, he walks through walls, all kinds of bananas things that our physical bodies right now are not made to do. And he does this for 40 days. It's not accidental that Luke brings up this number 40 or 40 days, this would have brought echoes into the ears of everyone who knew the story of Scripture of all of the different times that 40, whether it was 40 days or 40 years, became incredibly important in the movement of God. This 40 days signals for us a period of time where there would be some challenges, and yet at the end of it, something great would happen. The story of the flood, you've got 40 days of the world being pummeled by rain and there's significant challenge on the globe and yet at the end of it, there is renewal. Moses runs away after he murders someone. He tends sheep for 40 days and then he moves on and he does something else. Moses at the Ten Commandments, he's up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Israel begins to fall apart. They've got the golden calf going on. There are challenges happening, and yet at the end of that 40 days, something significant happens. All of these examples here show this. So as we look at this opening passage here in Luke, we understand that there is something that is here for every friend of God that is anchored in history and that this story comes at the conclusion of 40 days of challenge for the disciples wondering what was going to happen with this Jesus and we are on the precipice of something great happening on the level of the world being recreated after the flood. On the level of us having a firm identity, a sense of culture, a sense of belonging to God, just like at the end of the Ten Commandments being given. During all of this, what's important enough for Jesus to be talking to his disciples about is the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't saying, here's how you wiggle your way through all of the different rules, the laws, the cultural norms of your society in order to set up for yourselves a safe haven. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying, if you want to inhabit a world, if you as a community of Jesus want to be a place where God's rule and reign dwells, follow my lead. And so these words are for all of us, every friend of God. They're for us as we're getting ready to step into a new world where God is going to do something great. And the words are specifically about what a world that we live in looks like when we try to live under God's gracious rule and reign. These then become words that every follower of Jesus wants to lean into and listen to well because our hearts beat fast for his presence. For our kids to grow up knowing that Jesus is with them, that God loves them, that he made them and wants to be their friend forever. 
These are the kinds of things that we lean into because of words like this at the very beginning of Acts. So on one occasion, Luke continues, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John the Baptist, John the Baptist this is, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now these are, <laughs> these are interesting words to me. I mean, if, when I was a kid, my dad told me, hey, look, what, I'm, what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to mow the lawn and I want you to do a good job of it and I want the yard to look good, okay? So here's what I want you to do first. Don't leave the house. What? <laughs> you just told me I should go and do something. Why are you telling me to not go and do it yet? Question for us, right? I mean, for me, and probably for all of you, because we live in West Michigan and we like to get it done here in the Midwest, when you know what it is you're supposed to do, you want to just do it, right? Set sail. Get it done. The economy of God and the kingdom of God, the first move here is to wait. It feels like a waste of time, doesn't it? There's something different about this kingdom of God. He says, don't leave. And wait for a gift that I've promised you. John the Baptist is referred to here. If we look at the book of John, this is a, another letter that was written by someone who was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, writes these words in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 of the book of John. This is the one I spoke about. That is John the Baptist now talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law, remember the 40 days of the law on the Mount Sinai? The, the law was given by Moses. Grace and peace, which surpasses that in terms of its blessing to humanity, came through Christ Jesus. There's a link here now between the 40 days that conjures up the picture of Moses, the explicit words of John. There is a connection between Moses and Jesus where John is saying Jesus is greater and no one has seen God but the one and only Son, that's Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father whom he has made known. So Luke continues to tell us, he builds on to what it is that we've already seen so far, that this Jesus that we have been talking about, this Jesus who became man, who was crucified, buried, and resurrected, who shows us the way to the kingdom of God, is in fact God himself. And so you can take it to the bank when he makes a promise that he's going to give you a gift. Because Jesus is God, that gift will come. So back to Acts. Then they, this is the disciples, those who had been in Jerusalem, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, these are Jewish people who grew up in a Jewish system of thought, and their idea of Messiah was that this great knight on a white horse would come in and subjugate every government ruler, would crush every military foe, and set up a theocracy. And so the question is, Jesus, are you going to restore greatness to our group of people? This is a rookie question. 
This is like us asking the question, Jesus, are you going to make sunrise great? Are you going to finally restore to the non-denominational churches the greatness that they're due? Are you going to make the Michigan church all that you want the church to be? This question is too narrow. The perspective of these Jewish followers of God is, will you, in our language that we're familiar with today, will you make us great again? Will you build us back better? Jesus responds to them, it's not for you to know the time or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. This is where the scope that the disciples have expands hugely. Jesus says, no, 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 this is not just about Israel. You're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to be in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is going to scatter everywhere. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid from their sight. How big is our perspective on the goodness of God and what we ask for him to do? I know that I am guilty at times of simply praying for myself, of praying for my family. God, would you make this family whole? Would you make this church what you long for it to be? Dear friend of God, don't ask the question Luke is teaching us implicitly. God, how can you make my family, how can you make me the place where you dwell? But instead, broaden your prayers. God, how can this world be a place where your rule and your reign saturates and overcomes everything? It is the kingdom of God that expands our vision of the world. Revelation, John, a different John writes in 7 verse 9, this image of what the kingdom of God, when it's in its full maturation, looks like. And this undergirds the point that Jesus is making here through Luke. After this, I looked, this is John and his vision, and there was before me a great multitude that was about 45,000 people, nope, that no one could count, from Israel, Nope. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This is the picture of people all over the globe being washed and given the new clothes of Christ, waving the palm branches that proclaim that Jesus is Lord, and they are enjoying the full kingdom of God once it is time for God's full rule and reign to rest in this world so that heaven and earth overlap in such a way that heaven overtakes earth. This is the picture that Jesus has in mind as he's talking to his disciples, yet it is not yet the picture that the disciples have. So they've got a long way to go. Now, just like you right now, <laughs> the disciples are hearing this, and they have, it prompts all kinds of questions in their minds. Okay, now wait a minute. This is a really tall order. Um, could you say that again? But what happens next is he, Jesus, goes to heaven. <laughs> and they're standing there with this tall order of things that they're supposed to do. And so they're looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. 
Now, we can relate to this, right? I mean, I remember as a kid watching my dad leave for work. I'm thinking, man, I can't wait till he comes home. Or you see your child pack up their belongings, they go off to college for the first time, and you wonder when they're going to come back. It's a tall order to adjust to a life of an empty nest. We look through the blinds of life once we've lost the job and we wonder, what's going to happen? Where is Jesus going to show up in my life? The disciples, I think, were feeling a measure of that and perhaps more as they're looking through the blinds of their life wondering, when is he going to come back? And when is he going to help make sense of what it is he just told us to do? He's left. We're by ourselves. We've got to do what's nearly impossible. Fast forward to life right now. We live in a world where at Sunrise Ministry specifically, we say we want to transform the world with God's grace and love. There's not an office over here for Jesus. He's not in here in this room physically telling us, here's what it is you need to do. There are all kinds of judgments that need to be made. Wisdom, discernment, there are mistakes that are made. You're raising your kids. You're trying to do the next right thing for your employees. Jesus isn't here right now. And in the midst of a world where there are ups and downs and questions and answers and confusion and all kinds of things that can separate us, we too can find ourselves simply looking up to the sky and asking, Jesus, when are you going to come back? And we can freeze. And we can be, as they say, so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. We can long so much for Jesus to be here and just look for him that we forget to actually do the things Jesus told us to do. And so these men, these angels, show up and they say, stop looking out the blinds of life. There are things for you to do. And also I need you to know this. Jesus is going to come back. Your dad who left for work, your kids who went to college, even your friend who passed away, there will be a reunion there that happens. Jesus is going to come back. There are things for us to do, friend of God. So at this point, the disciples snap out of it. They return, whoop, fast forward there a little bit. Okay, they return to Jerusalem from the hill. Come on now. Okay, I think we're going to stay there for a minute. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. This is where they were, okay? Then Luke puts in there a cultural marker that tells us a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and those present were Peter, John, James, and John, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Well, we can fast forward all of this and think, okay, yeah, I know how to say about 90% of those names. Someone else who I know can say the other ones. Well, we can look at this and remind ourselves this is a way of Luke describing for us something again that happened and is anchored in history. Jesus and his disciples were here in the Mount of Olives. This is the place that, according to Luke, they left, right? 
they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. So they're here on this hill. You can go there today. This is a picture from when we were in Israel. This is the Mount of Olives. Some of these trees, they say, are actually trees that were there when Jesus and his disciples were there. I don't know if that's true or if that's just a thing you tell white Christians from the USA. I don't know. So this is a real place. Again, anchored not just in history, but in this world. Don't let anyone ever tell you that the story of Jesus has absolutely nothing to do with the real world. You can go to these places today. And they went about a Sabbath day's walk. Now, this is a city here that we were walking alongside of. And I don't know if you can see it really well here, but there are these poles that are sticking up. Looks like it's coming out of that woman's head right there. I promise you it's not. Um, but they, what they have there is city markers. They're the boundaries of every city that still exists there today. Now, why are those there? So that you know how far you can walk on Sabbath. It's important that Jews don't work too much on Sabbath. And so to help themselves out, they put these lines there so that you know if you've made it inside of the city, you're good. Or if you leave the center of city and you walk a Sabbath day's walk, which is just about a mile, then that's where the edge of town is. So it's not that far away. We know exactly about how far this is. It's 2,000 cubits, which is about 6,000 feet, just over a mile. Here's a picture of the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Again, anchored in history. These two places, the Mount of Olives, the city of Jerusalem, are very unique, very specifically mentioned, common places that Jesus and his disciples go. And so the disciples returned to Jerusalem, we just read, from the hill called the Mount of Olives. You saw the picture, a Sabbath day's walk from the city about a mile. This is where historians have looked at the author of Luke and have said, this guy knows how to write history. He's absolutely accurate in the things that he says. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and those present, all the names there again, and they begin to put together a battle plan of how to take over the world and do exactly what it is Jesus told them to do. No, they pray. What in the world? Like, you've got this tall order... And instead of going into a conference room with a whiteboard and writing everything down and reaching out to all of the other followers of Jesus and finding out the best practices and putting together the best programs and ministries that you possibly can, these disciples go back to a boring room where they have been time and time again to a place that they know very well and they pray. We're stepping into a new season. Some of you are gone on vacation right now. God bless you. Some of us, again, are getting ready for college. Some of us are adjusting to life after a diagnosis, whatever that is. There's this new day coming. In this story of Scripture, we have Acts that's ushering in a new day of the church, becoming fully who it is designed to be. And the first move, friend of God that you and I should be making is to pray. Don't just look up in the sky and wonder when is Jesus going to come back. Don't get on your donkey, get in your SUV and go and tackle the world with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Go back to the boring places you've always been and pray. Pray. I don't know about you, but that didn't sound fun to me. 
When we were in youth group, we would often go to the adult prayer meeting about once a month or so, I think it was. And I hated it. Because you got all these Q-top head people in that context who spoke a very thick German accent. And yeah, they made great potato salad, but they did not pray exciting prayers. But what I've learned growing up was that that group of people who prayed regularly in that same boring place where they had been for years were the ones who were asking that God would bless me. Where God would bless not just that church, but the people and the communities connected to that church. And I can look in the rear view of life and see how that prayer was incredibly important. And there are parts of my story that I can point back to and I can say, God showed up here and here and here. And I can't say empirically that God showed up here and here and here because of those prayers, but why would I push back against that? Who and what are you praying for? Are you and I praying So about this time, we're going back to the story in Acts. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Of course he did. He's the one who always wanted to talk. There were about 120 of those people there. And he said to them, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David. This is the ancient king of Israel concerning Judas. What? Concerning Judas? I mean, he's in the room right here, right? Yeah, I mean, according to what Luke just said, Judas is there. Who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. Okay, no, wait a minute. Now we're talking about Judas Iscariot, is what we know. He was one of our numbers and shared in our ministry. And with the payment that he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field and there he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Don't let anybody tell you that Scripture's not fun. This is rated R stuff right here. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Ekeldamah. That is field of blood. You can go there today. There's a monastery, actually, that's built there. Tons of graves underground. This is a place where it's not quite sure exactly happened what happened, so that it was called field of blood because it's a whole bunch of people buried there because Judas was actually killed there. But the point is there is this physical space yet again on the world that we live in that you can go to today that Luke anchors this story into. And there's this theology. Peter said, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Left there, uh, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Now, you've got to be a nerd if you're somebody who studies the Old Testament well enough to know that in this situation, wait a minute, God said something about it. We're supposed to find somebody to fill the leadership void. Now, I say you've got to be a nerd there with a little bit of hyperbole. I think the fact of the matter is, Peter knew his scriptures well enough to know we've got to figure out who's walking with us, who's in our squad now. We're down one an important thing. I mean, there were 12 disciples that reflected the 12 tribes of Israel, and it is, if the church is to take on the shape of God's promise to reach all people, and there were 12 tribes to signify all of the Jews, then there should be 12 apostles to signify the full reach of God into the world. And so, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time that the Lord was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism, this is before Jesus was really into his ministry, to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. From one of these, one of these group of people must come a witness with us of his resurrection. 
So they did what every good group of Christians do, and they nominated people. They nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who's also known as Justice. This guy had two nicknames. He was legit. I probably would have voted for him just because of that. Or we would have been confused. Which, what guy are you talking about? This Justice, that one, the guy with the nickname? Anyway. So they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. This is the end of chapter 1. Chapter 1, we have this Jesus who says, look, friend of God, think bigger than yourselves. Think about a kingdom that encompasses the entire world. And before you go set sail to pursue that, would you just pray? As we're stepping into a new season, the things that we're looking forward to, the things we're scared about in this new week, this summer, this new school year, this season without a job, without that person who was once with us, would you stop, friend of God, and would you pray? Number two, would you look at the people who are surrounding you? There's... Who's in your group of people to go with you into your week? Who are your allies as you try to raise your kids? There are lots of people out there. You can nominate whoever it is you want to to walk alongside of you to pursue the kingdom of God with you. Don't go it alone. There's research that tells us that every kid needs five healthy adults investing in them for them to have a strong sense of self, to be anchored well in community, and to go off into life secure. If you are a mom and dad with a kid, who are the other three people allied with you to raise your kids well? Who's the Matthias? Are we asking ourselves that question? As we walk into the seasons of life, are we stopping to pray? Are we taking the time to realize we need to be a full group of people? Who's missing in your circle? Do you need to rewind a little bit and pray? I think that as we move into the summer, as we figure out what life looks like when we're back in this room, back from vacation, and we're trying to figure out what does sunrise continue to look like moving forward, two of the best things we can do are to stop and pray. The second thing, who needs to be here with us? Not just in our families, not just in our threes company or in our small groups, but here. Last encouragement, in that question of who needs to be with us, don't just think about the people who have called this place Sunrise who have already been here. Expand it. Don't just think Jenison and Hudsonville. Think West Michigan. Think who needs to be connected to our partners because the God we serve and the kingdom that is coming is far greater, far bigger than Sunrise, West Michigan, and even the United States. So as we begin this series, I hope that we take with us these two invitations. Pray. Make sure you got the right people in your circle. 
Father, we come to you this morning as people who, at least if we're like me, I'll be really honest, um, I can find myself looking up into the sky and really not doing much and waiting for something to happen, you to do something before I go and do something else, or I can just start doing something and not doing it without, and doing it without stopping to pray and ask you, hey, what should we do here? What should my heart look like as I pursue this? Sometimes I don't even take the time to figure out who the best people are to be walking with me in a life that wants to pursue you. And so, God, for these things, I ask for your forgiveness. And I pray that as I, as we, step into this summer, this new season, just like the disciples did in this far more significant way, but even in the significance that we feel in our own lives as we transition into a new season, God, would you move in our hearts to cause us to just stop and pray, to look around us and figure out who it is you want to walk with us. God, we trust you. We come to this text, we read this story because we believe that you move in and through it. God, we ask that you would move in and through us this week and this summer. In Christ's name, amen. Every service we close with song, we close with opportunity to talk with people, we close with a time to give. There are many different ways that we express our thanks to God, our dependence on him. We have opportunities for people to come up and pray. If you would like to take advantage of any of those things, you can come up front to pray. You can stand and sing with us. You can sit and sing with us as we do that. You can give back here. There's a bucket to do that. Or if you want to do it electronically, scan the QR code, click the link if you're online. But we serve a God who's going with us into a new season. Let's celebrate that together. Let's make a new commitment to pursue this new season of life following him so that we can transform this world with God's grace and love.
disciples after Jesus leaves they go to the common place of life where they've been all the time and they pray they just pray they figure out who needs to go with them and then in the next chapter we find out what God does to move in and through those kinds of decisions I invite you this week to read Acts chapter 2 because we've decided to follow Jesus and if we do that There's a reshuffling of the deck. The new day that we're looking forward to is going to look differently than we expect. And there are great surprises in store. So as you go into this week, may you know that the God who's ascended up into heaven has called us to not just look up into the sky, but to move into this world to do everything we can to bring his love and his grace to the people around us so that this world can be transformed. That is the full kingdom of God coming and resting on this earth. And as we do that, we will follow him as best we can and we'll love each other well. We love you guys. Have a great week. Travel back safely from vacation. We'll see you next week.